Hello there, space fans, and welcome to another episode of the Supercluster Podcast. We are here today with a news update. I know they are rare, and we haven't done one in probably a little bit over a month. I'm here with Chris Gebhardt, Assistant Managing Editor of NASA Spaceflight. We will be joined shortly by Jamie, who is wrapping a, uh, a video meeting right now. We rarely do these news update podcasts, and we're going to try to do them more and more because we're extremely busy <laughs> with launches and so much news coming out and so much activity at Kennedy and California and just so much going on, which is one of the reasons we had to do this podcast. And ironically, we don't have the time to do it. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, thank you uh, so much for being with me. I know we're all crunching uh, time these couple days, but uh, I appreciate you taking the time to go over some stuff with me. Anytime. My pleasure. And uh, hopefully Jamie joins uh, us in a few minutes, but I'll go ahead and get started. It has been a while since we did a news update, and I know that everyone that listens here is tracking missions on our ISS dashboard, our launch tracker, and our astronaut database. I think since April 1st, <laughs> April Fool's Day, <laughs> that was uh, the transporter for launch, was re- which was really fun. Uh, transporters missions are really cool because they always feature an international group of payloads from various nations and companies. And I would like to also complain that the fairing on the Falcon 9 is blank. And I've constantly been complaining to SpaceX that we need some art on there. Sorry. (laughs) Um, (laughs) After that was Axiom 1. Congrats to Axiom on their first successful mission. I think it was meant to be 10 days long and it ended up being 17. Brutal, but amazing if you're a spaceman. Weather. (laughs) Uh, Who who wouldn't want an extra week in orbit, right? Yeah, right. And because of AX-1's return, we had a little bit of juggling to do with these other crew missions. But between AX-1's launch and return, we did have a Starlink. We did have NREL-85, which launched from Vandenberg. Under fog conditions, uh, we did write about it. We did have returning supercluster photographer Tom Cross shoot the mission for for us, which was really, really fun to have him back. Tom was working on Dragon for a couple of years and decided to get back behind the camera for a little bit, which is really cool. So yeah, we had AX-1 return, finally. <laughs> Imagine going to space for 10 days and then told you have to stay an extra week on the space station. Uh, it's sort <laughs> of a hu- humorous uh, situation. Very Seinfeld, very Curb Your Enthusiasm. Very, um, very situation. much so, yes. Uh, I, I loved it. <laughs> we did have a successful Crew 4 launch. Chris, these are becoming so routine, routine already. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, routine is always a word I, I, I hate to use when we're talking about human <laughs> spaceflight. But right. it, it is worth noting that, you know, Crew 4 was the, uh, I mean, Crew 4 followed. Hello there. Oh, oh hey. <laughs> Jamie, we uh, we started the show, so you're live. And we, oh, told awesome. every, we told everyone that you're busy doing your filmmaking thing and that you would join us any minute. So we're glad to have you here. <laughs> um, and we, our audience knows how crazy things are getting right now so they're okay with us starting the recording early and uh, just to catch you up chris is uh, briefing us on crew four which launched a couple weeks ago excellent well i'm sorry to interrupt and here i am hello everyone <laughs> <laughs> good to have you on jv no i was just saying with crew four while we don't really like to use the word routine when we talk about human spaceflight, you know this was the seventh crew launch for spacex in less than two years Unbelievable. Uh, in fact they accomplished that in 23 months and you know sort of for some comparison there you know the seventh shuttle flight flew in June of 1980. 
three. And that was more than two years after the start of that program. So, you know, SpaceX's cadence is sort of beating the previous crew program that we had in terms of how many missions they were able to accomplish within their first entry uh, into into the crew flight market. Right. And you're right to say that we shouldn't be using the word routine just yet, even though it is becoming painfully not the human yeah, spaceflight. No, I mean, it is. Accurate, you know, not the human spaceflight component. I think the activity in orbit yes. um, in low Earth orbit is becoming so it's like Grand Central Station almost at this point, And it's becoming pretty crazy. Um, Crew 4 did see the flight of Jessica Watkins, who will be the first African-American woman to live aboard the space station permanently. It's an incredible moment in, in history. And I'm, I'm glad that we're able to add Jessica to the astronaut database. If you go on uh, supercluster.com slash astronauts, click in space, you will see that Jessica is in fact in space. <laughs> and you go over <laughs> to the ISS traffic, uh, you will see who is aboard the station. And we were discussing earlier, we have three NASA astronauts, three Roscosmos cosmonauts, and one European referee, just kidding, one um, ESA <laughs> astronaut hanging out up there, jokes. But yes, the space station is extremely busy. And I was just halfway through our list. X1 came home on April 25th. Crew 4 with Watkins launched on the 27th. <laughs> then SpaceX snuck in a Starlink launch on the 29th. And then Crew 3 who had launched a couple months, who a few months back, back in uh, has returned. Yeah, has returned. And they touched down just a few, uh, three days ago. That was a, a successful return, as Chris said. So there's been so many missions in just a span of two years that it's past the shuttle cadence uh, yeah. in, in, that, in that era. And we just had, when Crew 3 returned, like it was overnight, and they still had a Starlink launch that night. Yes, yes. The crew yeah. three came back at yeah. twelve forty three a.m. Right. Eastern, and then right. the next Starlink lifted off at five forty six a.m. Eastern. I woke up Florida. that morning <laughs> with messages from and tweets from Jenny and Eric, who were working overnight and covering both these things, and they captured some incredible photography. Please check it out on Supercluster's Twitter account and, and our Instagram. But yeah. I was just telling some friends the other day, five, six years ago, seven years ago, we used to make fun of SpaceX at the space, at Kennedy Space Center whenever we'd have like five or six scrubs or we'd delay by weeks or we'd go wait six hours and they'd never launch. We are paying for that now. It's called karma. There's an astounding uh, casualness that has crept up on us about some of these launches. It's kind of amazing. Well, there really is. I mean, right up to the point where since April 1st, right, that list that you started running down there, Robin, you know, since since April 1st, SpaceX has launched seven Falcon 9 missions. And if the manifest sort of loosely holds to what it's supposed to be right now in May, 8, 9, 10, 11, they would do at least 11 launches in eight weeks. And, you know, for the cadence that they have talked about in terms of getting 60 Falcon 9 launches off the ground in 2022 alone, we're starting to really see that they're capable of doing this. Right. They are. Yeah. It's 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 crazy to see. It's it went from zero to one hundred very quickly. Um, yeah, and, it really uh, did. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, 
The last thing I was going to say on that is there is this, this certain element going on with SpaceX where they both have to reinforce the market to kind of create their own customers and then also be their own customers with Starlink right. in right. order to do that. And I think that they're kind of, to their credit, they're kind of building up this cadence that makes an economy that sort of just will continue to produce customers because there's a new kind of you know, not not. I'll put it this way, like rocket reliability we've had to a certain extent with other providers, but this cadence means that you can just turn around and get a rocket launch in a way that you never could before. Right, totally. And Starlink as a business is getting off the ground too. I, recently, there have been announcements, there was a report in CNBC uh, by Michael Sheets about multiple airlines signing up Starlink already. I think one of them being Hawaii Airlines mm -hmm. that will carry Starlink internet, which is uh, pretty amazing. Oh man, imagine if internet on flights became good. I, I think that's what's <laughs> happening here. I actually went to high school with one of the engineers who pioneered Wi-Fi on like JetBlue's service. And I was talking to him about it and he says it's a game changer because what's wrong with airline internet is that it it cuts out. They can get the speeds that they want for their customers. I don't think that's the big issue. I think it's the consistency, latency. It's the keeping the internet on is a big problem in the air. Um, yeah. And apparently Starlink has a solution for this is, and part of their pitch to the airlines, which they're is just interesting. Gonna, they're just going to run a cable from a satellite to it's the just plane. Just drag a cable all the way yeah, across. Yeah. <laughs> but, but because it's running through the sky, it's okay. No one notices. It just disconnects right before they land. It's an amazing system. <laughs> De-engineering. Um, on the Ukraine front, I think there's something like approaching 15,000 Starlink dishes on the ground in Ukraine. It's now become a point of contention between Roscosmos leader Rogozin, who constantly says crazy, crazier and crazier things. Sometimes his, his short temper and the, he puts a lot of statements out there that are just like craziness. Every other day now, we're seeing an article headline, Russia is pulling out of the space station because Rogozin tweeted it or he told someone in an interview. Unless you hear it from Roscosmos and NASA, I wouldn't listen to Rogozin. I never listen to Rogozin. I think he's a madman. And I think he talks a lot of shit. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> even just as the statements over the past few weeks have just been right. continuously unreasonable, to put yeah, it lightly. That being said, I'm not trying to downplay the seriousness of the situation in Ukraine. Then the last few weeks, the situation isn't escalating. We're just... The Associated Press, Reuters, other news organizations are seeing clear and present evidence of war crimes, of hundreds of people dead, of airstrikes killing civilians. And, you know, these things are all coming up in conversation now. I think the space industry, more and more we have to talk about it. Uh, it's not something we can ignore anymore. I think there's going to be a situation where there's a denormalization of relations between Russia and the United States on the space station. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know how that will come about, but I just want to make it clear to people that it's not something that the space community or industry is ignoring. I also think there's a conglomerate of space industries that have written a letter to support Ukraine. I know that Maxar and a couple other satellite companies are part of that, which is pretty cool. But the situation, war is war. The situation hasn't changed. It's been over 70 days. But much is being revealed about the situation on the ground when it comes to human rights and war crimes that have been committed on that front. Yeah, it's really a sad truth, but I think you're right that we're headed to a point where even 
in space, a certain collaboration is going to become untenable because right. the the depths of the terror campaign that has been unleashed, if I, you know, if I can venture to call it that, are such that you just are going to get to a point where you cannot deal with this nation, regardless if you have respect for its people, which right. is again very sad. But I think I think you're right that we are approaching that level of crime here. And, uh, you know, and that's all we'll say about it right now. Obviously, if we learn any more regarding Starlink or what we can report, we'll talk about it. Speaking of problematic regimes, I think that's a good excuse to talk about the mission that launched today, Chris. (laughs) China launched a supply mission to their new space station. Chris, what can you tell us about it? Yeah, so this was the Tianzhou 4 spacecraft cargo resupply up to the Tiangong Modular Space Station. And this is really setting the stage for the next crew mission up to that space station, which will involve three Chinese Taikonauts launching from a completely different launch center on a completely different rocket on a completely different vehicle than what launched today, as is always the case in spaceflight. But yeah, basically this delivers the food, the science, everything that they will need for their six-month mission. And actually, their their mission's a little bit longer than six months. They're scheduled to come back mid-ish December after an early June launch, so a little bit longer than six months. But crucially, they will be the three who are up there when the two science modules arrive in July and October. And this is actually kickstarting a really busy period for the Chinese space station, where this is the first of six launches this year to that outpost, uh, including the cargo launch we just mentioned, the Mm -hmm. Shenzhou 14 crew launch next month in June, the Wentian and Mingtian modules, and then Tianzhou 5, another cargo vehicle, which will launch in November, followed by the next crew mission on Shenzhou 15. And that will actually mark the first time for this space station where they will do an on-orbit crew handoff and have six Taikonauts on there on the same at the same time. Oh, that's and exciting. Yeah, and they actually haven't been able to do this before because they needed at least the Wentian module to be up there in order to have enough space for the crews to actually work and live as they're doing the about week-long handover that is mentioned here. So for China, this is really the start of what is planned to be, well, next month, rather, with Shenzhou 14's launch is the anticipated start of permanent habitation in space for China. Right. This is the last moment in time where China will not have a human in space ever. Wow. That is the plan. Yeah, yes. that's quite a moment. That's yep. quite a moment. Yeah, they joined the United States and Russia as right. the only other nations that can claim that permanent for quite some presence time. in orbit. Yep. Yep. Also, I, I do like uh, you mentioned the Wenqian module. Apparently, that means quest for the heavens. Oh, I like that. Yes. And yeah, and what do, and Mingtian has a very similar has a very similar meaning. Wentian or yeah, Mingtian is known as dreaming of the heavens oh okay yeah oh well wait so are these i guess in sequence that makes sense like they were dreaming or is that how they were deployed in order uh so that's how they'll be deployed when tian and then ming tian and oh well oh that doesn't work then sorry i was thinking that you would dream of them and then go on a quest for them but it's backwards (laughs) yeah (laughs) but not not quite yeah oh well Okay, well, that that's a great transition point for me. Because speaking of dreaming of going to orbit, <laughs> Starliner is next up. Uh, <laughs> do, do at the space station, not. We're not making fun of them. We're just having fun. 
given their recent failures. <laughs> okay, so we all know that O of T1 failed, but they recovered the spacecraft. I don't even, I've lost all sense of time, but I do remember that Chris and I were there for launch. We yep. remember the moment we realized it failed. I, I was sitting next to Chris and then there was a lot of drama, a lot of misinformation, sorry to say. And then... Until the NASA administrator until stepped NASA in. Until NASA administrator stepped in. And then they brought the vehicle back. They recovered it from orbit, brought it back. Chris and I and a couple of our colleagues went to see it, in which we also didn't get information. We, I was able to go right up to Starliner and, and look at it, and we got minimal information. And then they found something 81 infractions that they needed to repair. So Starliner went back to the factory. Great. Brought it back out for OFT2, second attempt at this mission, uncrewed mission to the space station and back. But yeah. there was valve issues. And oh, yeah, yes. the valves. The valves. And it, it went makes back. me think, sorry, I just got to interject. <laughs> and you remember that scene in Armageddon when you've got the guy and he's like, oh he's like freezing, gosh. trying to turn the valves. Medical components all made in Taiwan. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, something That's like what that. I think yeah. of when I think of valve problems. Yeah. But well, please, please continue. Could, uh, which is interesting because it was not a cryogenic valve because those <laughs> are the ones that always give us trouble. But it wasn't even God. that. It was a valve that was, I, I admit, this, this other one, the valve issue was annoying. Yeah, You know, because it basically came down to the valves corroded in the Florida humidity. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not like we haven't been launching from Florida for I 80 mean, years. Is it, yeah, I mean, seriously, man. Cape Canaveral just opened last week, so who's going to blame them? <laughs> it, it is quite a, you know, quite a, yeah, quite and, a foul. And, okay, like, you know, guys, like, oh, it's these... not only that, it's like, if anyone knows Florida, it's Boeing. You yeah. know, it's yeah. like, come I, I on. mean, and, and it also, they did sort of say and update us a few months ago on what they had found. But, you know, it's also worth noting they had to swap service modules for yeah. this. And it yeah. took 10 months. This wasn't a. That's a conversation the, people are it, really ready to have because when you, yeah. some people will make the argument that a service module is a whole other spacecraft, but they're not ready for that conversation. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know. but anyway, the good news here is that, yes, even though it has been since December of 2019, pre-pandemic, I kid you not, since yeah. Starliner actually flew OF, oh. what is now retroactively OFT-1, right. and OFT stands for Orbital Flight Test, by the way, just their version of saying uncrewed test right. flight, where SpaceX called it Demo-1. But yeah, th this mission, Starliner rolled out last week from its processing facility and out to the launch pad, and I'm going to stop right there and note that will come back to the thing that fell off because it's not an actual issue. It oh, was the just window a cover? Oh, yeah. yeah. It, that, that was just it, funny. It was, it was not a really spacecraft. bad just optics poetic. thing. It was yeah. not a spacecraft <laughs> yes. component. It was yeah. really bad optics, but nothing more than that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That was yeah. nothing that was going to fly, you yeah. know, case closed, you know. Yeah. But, still and, and funny, the, though. It was still funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, it was just sort of like you just kind of hung your head for a moment. Yeah. Well, it's oh. just too symbolic. Just yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, but Starliner's on top of the Atlas now, and okay. they are marching toward a launch on May 19th, just before 7 p.m. Eastern time. Yeah, I think we're looking at 6.54, if I'm not correct. Somewhere yeah, 6.54, yeah. 6.56, and, and, you know, take the actual, like, final minute with a slight grain of salt because it could mm -hmm. adjust a minute or so here or there as they continue to refine the window and atlas operates a little bit different than right. the falcon 9 so just bear that in mind as as we get closer to its particular launch window here that opens on may 19th 
but quite soon either way. Quite soon either way, yeah. And and Starliner is kind of threading between a couple of missions here because it needs a docking port, and there's only one available right now on, on the International Space Station. It's the one that Crew 3 vacated last week before they came home. But then Starliner itself, the mission's going to last about a week. The exact duration is kind of dependent on when it lifts off. And that's because very early in June is a SpaceX cargo resupply and science mission that's launching, and it will need the docking port that Starliner is going to use. So we've got some docking port management that's coming up here on board the space station, but it will be really cool to, for the very first time, see two U.S. crew vehicles docked to the International Space Station at the same time. That and would I be mean really that awesome. Different. Yeah. Two different crew vehicles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, there because were, the Germans were... have docked together. Right. But yeah, yeah. yeah. There were two details there, by the way, that I really loved. There was that one. And also just the first that oh, they have to wait for an available docking port on our space station because our space station is so busy with so many spaceships on it. That's so great. Grand you, can also, you can also make the claim that that's proof that we need a new docking port. We right. need a yeah, third yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. It needs more docking ports. We need, we need more space stations. More space stations, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Okay, all right, guys. I'm going to try and wrap up this show. Two things that have happened recently that were sort of skimmed over. SpaceX had its 150th launch, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my and God. they also launched their first 12th reflight. I know it sounds confusing. They launched their first. Okay, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not entering this for the, first, for, for the first, first for time. The 12th for the first time. time they lo- okay, one Falcon booster flew 12 times for the first time. Is that <laughs> and, and, and now <laughs> three have actually flown for a three. Ha- well, yeah, since it yes. happened, three have two more have done. So Jenny is really good. As our listeners know, Jenny Hotman, she does our coverage down at Cape Canaveral. She's been keeping track of these flights. And even though she's keeping re- like really great, she's listing them out. We went from one to three. I missed those couple days. Like, I don't know. I went from like, wow, we they finally did 12. And then like a few days later, I was like, yo, we, they've already done it three times. I was like, oh, my God. But anyway, what does this mean, Chris? Like philosophically, philosophically, you have a dozen cupcakes now. <laughs> um, yes, well, it means that the world is balanced on the back of a giant turtle. No, um, yes, most definitely. Uh, you know, I, I think it means two things. If, if you look at this in sort of the larger goals that SpaceX has set for themselves and then the wider market in general, SpaceX really set that goal to rapidly reuse the Falcon 9, and they have managed to do it by flying the ex- exact same booster within 20 days launch to launch. That was mm-hmm. another one they set recently. Yes. Uh, they also set two individual pad turnaround records on pad 40 and pad 39A at eight days and nine days, respectively, between launches. But for the booster side of it, the fact that we've got three that have gotten to 12 at this point, and they're doing it very rapidly now, is good in a way because it's showing that the boosters themselves are coming through the launches either 
better or basically kind of where SpaceX expected them to be. Yeah. And we've seen, you know, the more they fly, the more data they get. Now, we always see those fleet leaders, sort of what they're called boosters on Starlink missions and internal mm-hmm. missions. Because if anything were to go wrong when you're testing the limits of the booster, better for it to be your own payload than a paying customer. Right. So we, we've definitely seen that. But I, I think more so what it leads to, and, and this, is, this is sort of like more the philosophical nature of it than, than the hardcore reality of it, is that the more they can learn about the Falcon 9s, and even though there's really not an appetite to turn one around within 24 hours at this point, which was the original goal, what they're learning from this reuse and how everything is behaving is going to be instrumental for Starship. And right. that sort of rapid pace, you know, three hours turnaround that that they're talking about for that vehicle. And, and I think that's more where it lies. But it definitely shows you that what they were saying about the Falcon 9 was true early right. on in terms of how many times it could be reused. They just keep going. That's amazing. We're never short of SpaceX news. <laughs> Ever. One, um, one question I have, and maybe this is something I just need to look into more, is I'd love to know exactly what is done to the booster after they get it back and and before they refly it like what's the actual refurbishment process what happens uh to these boosters oh i'm so glad you asked that because there's actually two completely different tracks that they can take on refurbishment now Ooh. and i'm so glad you asked this because they just debuted this other one so the most recent starlink that launched last week debuted the new sort of starlink style turnaround that was the same booster that launched axiom which is crazy yeah so they literally (laughs) grabbed the axiom booster and turned it around within 20 days and that's sort of the minimal like it's it's going to be used for a starlink mission so they kind of don't do everything that they would do for other missions right but if it's a nasa booster it's going to take longer to turn around because NASA is going to have more requirements. If it's a mm-hmm. communication satellite for communications plus, I'm just going to make up a company that hopefully does not exist um, <laughs> or at least does not launch things into space. You know, they might have different requirements. So, But bottom line is they've got their sort of internal, we can turn these around quickly if they're just Starlink boosters and they're not fleet leaders very quickly, you know, within three weeks at this point or less. So, wow. or you know, the more standard, okay, we got it back. We need to do some non-destructive evaluation is what it's called. Mm -hmm. Basically, you look at it. it. (laughs) Yeah. And you look at it and you x-ray it. Um, and, and you, you know, you put some cameras up into the engines to, to look, to make sure the internal plumbing is all okay. And the turbo pumps are okay. But Mm -hmm. you know, they're sort of showing that you don't have to do that, or at least they are comfortable not doing that on the internal flights at this point. So what is their turnaround time for a crewed flight? I don't know uh, if, what you, do you mean, mean for by Dragon that? or Dragon or Falcon. Oh, I guess well, I guess it's not a direct comparison. Yeah. Well, cuz in my mind I'm trying to compare it to shuttle. But shuttle, of course, you've got to refurbish the part where the people go. If you're going to compare it to shuttle, you have to combine Dragon Falcon turnaround times. Right, right. And well, and you really need to use the dragons for that, not not the boosters. Just dragons, yeah. Yeah. And there really haven't been enough of those to establish any kind of cadence. I I would say in a couple years, we'll we'll we can start to compare, but the their vehicles. I mean, shuttle still holds. Yeah, shuttle still holds that record. If if you if you do shuttle to like orbiter to capsule, you know, it's still taking about half a year to turn a dragon around. Right, right. Whereas Atlantis did it in fifty four days, launch to launch. Yeah, totally. That's the one a dragon capsule has to beat. 
is the 54 day mark. Yeah. Yes, for better or worse, because yeah. it was pre-challenger. But um, um, yeah. well, yeah, yeah, but also far less complex <laughs> than turning a shuttle orbiter around. True. Some uh, some other fun news we had today was NASA held a press conference to talk a little bit about James Webb, which for Cluster have an article coming out next week about L two and the science that went behind placing Webb in its orbit, which will be interesting. But Jamie, we did have an image drop today. It was actually two images, one from Spitzer, a retired telescope that was taken a while back, and a new image from Webb's MIRI ins- instruments. This image showed that four main instruments were aligned and that it was displaying the difference in re- resolution from Spitzer, another infrared imaging telescope, to this infrared imaging aboard Webb. And the difference is dramatic. Oh, it's dramatic. Oh, yeah. It's really amazing. I mean, it's it's akin to like, I don't even know how you'd make it. I the mean, it's the difference between Game Boy and Xbox 360. It's oh, like, yeah. yeah. I think that's actually a good way to think <laughs> yeah. about it. Is it's yeah. like yeah. it's like seeing blobs that are meant to be a basketball player to um, kind of thinking you're watching TV. You yeah, know, like yeah. it's pretty amazing. And a lot of that just comes from the incredible size of that web mirror. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because if you want to make an analog to a camera that you might encounter, it's kind of like the bigger the mirror, Mm -hmm. the bigger the aperture on the front of your lens. And also the bigger, although it's not a direct analogy, kind of like the bigger the image sensor. So overall, our imaging technology, while we do have much, much more sensitive image sensors, the real killer thing that they did is just make the mirror bigger, you know? And if you compare Spitzer Webb, one was 85 centimeters wide and Webb is 650 centimeters wide. Wow. So, you know, just about eight times the size. Amazing. And we'll obviously keep tracking Webb's development. That photo is on our Instagram page. Uh, We had a little fun with that. Jamie did an edit of it. So check that out. We're going to wrap this show with a couple of entertainment bits we do entertainment on here now <laughs> um are we and, allowed uh, to talk about it <laughs> yeah yeah we'll we'll briefly mention it chris because we should just do another episode with swapna um yeah. those who are listening we did a pretty big star trek episode last week uh, which was really great you can go back and listen to it we won't talk about it too much because we only have a couple minutes but star trek strange new worlds <sighs> is amazing boy it's oh, amazing yeah. oh yeah. this is good news yeah, because yeah you know what's cool is what is it is it it's Strange New Worlds or Brave New Worlds? Or Strange, Strange New Worlds. Strange New Worlds. Worlds. Yeah. Here's the thing is, I didn't even know this existed. Yeah. And I, I'm, I, maybe this is just because Trek lately has been not it's maybe been t- as it's good. It's been too much. Yeah, it's, it's been, been hard too, and there's yeah. been a lot. Yeah. And I, I didn't really get into the new Picard series. So I was kind of like, Same. oh man. Yeah. Uh, I was rewatching some old TNG to kind of scratch that itch. Mm. But I, I have now in two days found out there's a new show. And now from you, I'm learning that it's good. So all of a sudden things are looking up. Well, first, first I got excited. I, I heard a little bit about the show but like you i'm a little fatigued with all the projects there's so many projects and a lot of them are green greenlit canceled in terms of like the movies and there's been a lot of you know picard season two discovery there's the animated show there's all this stuff i was getting a little fatigued so i wasn't paying too hard attention then i realized the show was coming i saw swatna was at the premiere in new york city which funny enough a bunch of us in new york reporters were also in new york that saturday and none of us were invited to the premiere just (laughs) we have to live through swatna Um, but uh, Uh. she was really excited about it 
And I was like, okay, I need to check this out. And then we had a group chat to do our Star Trek podcast. And then I finally watched it. I watched it with my girlfriend who doesn't care about Star Trek at all or, or watched any of the other shows. And we were both captivated. And, she, and my girlfriend was captivated by the story, even wow. though she had no idea about Star Trek. I did pause it 17 times, annoyingly, to give her the backstory. <laughs> but uh she enjoyed the show i oh, really the- i really really enjoyed it i thought oh wow a lot of emotions came back a lot of nostalgia from the older series we're not going to give away too much because a lot of people still haven't watched it and we're going to talk about it in depth on a future star trek episode maybe next week or the week after but i'll say this it's old trek in the ways that we used to talk about social issues it's old Trek that we used to question the Prime Directive. It's old Trek that we see ourselves and the aliens that we're talking to. That's all I'm going to say. Wow. Yeah. Chris? I, yeah. I, I, Non-spoilery. I won't give, Non-spoilery yeah, action. I, I won't give away spoilers, but let me put it this way. I've never cried during a Star Trek premiere. Yeah. I have oh. cried during other episodes of Star Trek. I got Terry Eye too. Oh. But, yeah. but it got me in more places than one. Um, in in terms of its messaging. But one thing that I will say, like if you have been waiting for a Star Trek series that Mm -hmm. feels like Star Trek from the beginning and that gives you all of those good 90s Trek, the the Trek that we always go back to, to I mean, nobody nobody ever says, oh yeah, I just have Discovery on in the background, not saying Discovery (laughs) is a bad series, right? The Trek shows you have on in the background are Next Gen, DS9, and Voyager. Right. Oh, a, Strange New Worlds is going to be on that list yeah, too. Wow. Absolutely. It's, it's on that level. Yeah. That's great yes. to hear because remember, this is this is the 11th, the right. 11th Star Trek series. Yeah. So for them to to have enough awareness to go back to what works, good for them. I'm yeah, looking I, forward I, to I, watching I, it. I, I, I trust this. your number there, but I guarantee you missed one. You know, that's how many there are. I easily, look, easily. All I had is in my head that there were 10 and then I learned about this one. <laughs> he, he is correct. It is well, the oh, good. Oh, wow. good. Yeah, it is that's the incredible. 11th. Yeah, because they nailed down finally that the animated series is canon. So yeah, it, yeah. it is the eleventh. But oh, yeah, so good. All right, we won't say any more because yeah. we're going to have a whole episode about it, and we we need Swapna's input here. Start. Well, I think we'll do a whole episode on the show because there's a lot to talk about in the first episode. I want to see where the next episode goes, and I want to see how this tracks. I'm liking all the characters so far so yeah that that's one piece of our entertainment news that i think people should get on top of and if you checked out a star trek for a while check this show out i i, I highly recommend it it's very good what else james gunn has wrapped production on guardians of the galaxy 3 which i th- believe is it, the last of his guardians movies for marvel so congrats to james gunn those movies have always been really really fun and really different and i think a lot of people in our community love guardians of the galaxy I once watched a rocket launch with a rocket, uh, a raccoon, ro- a, a raccoon that I named Rocket. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I think that was Parker Solar Probe. I can't remember. But I was sitting, standing at Cape Canaveral next to a bunch of people. I think it was with my buddy Sawyer Rosenstein, who's been on the show. And a, and a raccoon came up to me to my right and stood right there and watched the rocket launch. And I was like, James Gunn couldn't have made this up himself. <laughs> So anyway, That's hilarious. Yeah, I love it. That was clearly it's Kennedy Space yeah. Center for you. Yeah, it's clearly just didn't want to reveal that yeah, it could yeah. speak he English. Wasn't, he didn't have a gun, thank can. God. Yeah, yeah, a giant gun. But uh, yeah, that's amazing. Today, production begins 
on uh, Ashoka, which will be the next Disney Plus Star Wars show after Obi-Wan. And I'm pretty sure they're doing another show about the Rebels. But anyway, this is a, a show based on a character that people love from the Clone Wars uh, television show from the Clone Wars film. Rosario Dawson plays her in Mandalorian and uh, the Book of Boba Fett. And that was one of those moments of fan casting. Rosario Dawson's always been fan casted as an older Ashoka. And uh, she played the role, which is pretty amazing. But yeah, I, I, I think that's it for entertainment news. I always bring up Prometheus randomly. Before we started this podcast, I saw that Ridley Scott is doing another interview where he's being forced to defend Prometheus. I just want to say to all the people who hate on that movie, I hate you. <laughs> because I like that movie. And I know it, I know it has problems. Oh. I know it has problems. Wow, I know these are bold words. These are bold words, I know that the movie has problems. Hey, I'll say this about Prometheus. Yeah. It's, be- it's better than Covenant. It's better than the... Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's better than Covenant. Better than but look, Covenant. <laughs> but look, people complain now that every Temple movie is Marvel or Star Wars. When you had Prometheus, you you complained about it. So now you don't have any Prometheus anymore. That's actually a good point. <laughs> is know? that I, I will say that for any criticisms I might make of Prometheus, yeah. I'm I'm very pleased it exists. Yeah. Like yeah. it is a truly out there kind of sci-fi story. It right. goes in some places that are like, all right, <laughs> yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. fine. But look, you make a good point. I, I guess this is something that to maybe end on for the entertainment news, because I do feel kind of passionate about it. Mm. We are in many ways trapped in a world where our sci-fi and our fantasy and everything can only come from certain sources in terms of where it gets its stories. And I think the more we shake loose of that, the better off we will all be as storytellers and uh, story consumers. Of course. And uh, I would like to remind everyone, there are great science fiction movies uh, by smaller studios all the time. Just make sure you check them out. When you don't go to movie theaters and see those movies, they don't green light more of them. So keep that going. And not to talk smack about the bigger movies either. I saw Multiverse of Madness over the weekend. I'm a big Sam Raimi fan, and it's a Sam Raimi movie. I really enjoyed it. I love the multiverse stuff. I like seeing gore and murder among my superheroes. So um, watch that. It's very reminiscent to the boys <laughs> and kick ass from back in the day. So yeah, uh, it was cool to see Sam Raimi stuff. He's such a, a unique filmmaker. He's not everyone's cup of tea, but um, I really enjoyed seeing a Marvel film through the context of Sam Raimi. It was very refreshing, very different, and I really enjoyed it. So go see your big movies, go see your small movies. And I think that Jamie is right to say that we need to see these stories told on different budgets. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. totally. And, yeah. yeah, and and we we need to to fund sci-fi at all levels, and also don't restrict it to known properties. Let people show up with their very out there idea and and explore it on the big screen because that's given us some of our absolute best movies. Absolutely. I would like to thank you both for being on the show again. Our thirty minute new show went a little long, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll hopefully do them more frequently. And Chris, we will be back on with Sotna to talk Star Trek soon because there's plenty plenty to talk about. And yeah, we will uh, keep tracking the space station because things are getting super busy. When I leave on one note, because we had a brief conversation about it today in one of our meetings, the Chinese space station is coming. I know that there's already activity and we're going to have to track it. So we're just, I, I would say around eight weeks, a little bit longer from getting that beta tested and everything. So please tune into that. And thank you. 